Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Corey, you have been grinding. It is, it is your busy season. A couple of big articles from you out this week. Uh, your gorgeous new draft rankings, which I would really encourage people to go check out. Uh, I don't think Corey did the coding himself, but maybe I'm wrong. But no, uh, very cool. It, it, it's super cool interactive ranking. I think you're going to love it if you haven't seen it already. And then Mock Draft 2.0, which... I can't say Mock Draft 2.0 and not start there. I think the listeners would revolt, Corey. So let's get right into that. Uh, what what are in your mind kind of the big the big changes here from from Edition 1.0? Right at the top, it's that I think the the really strong ploy of Leo Carlson at the World Championships. Uh, I I would have been between mocking Will Smith from the U.S. program or him at the three spot, and I think Leo Carlson is now at the three spots following his really strong play down the middle for Sweden at the World Championships. And frankly, I think you could even argue him up to number two. I think, you know, that's not where he is on my personal big board, but I think there's a lot of people in the league who are really enamored with this player. And I think Anaheim, at the minimum, has to have a very serious conversation about him at two. Uh, So I think that is... Uh, one of the biggest changes there, uh, you know, and, and end result is Will Smith goes at at four to San Jose. Uh, I mocked uh, Nate Danielson at seven, and I think he was either like ten or eleven last time. And I think trying to find his landing spot's been a little difficult. I know there are some teams in the league who are a little, you know, not as optimistic on him as I am, but I know there are some teams in the league who are major fans of this player and think he will go that high in the draft, whether it's 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, some, somewhere in that range, uh, and try to find his exact landing spot you know, with another center high up there, Dalbor Dvorsky. You know, in my experience, premium centers and premium defense prospects go very fast. Um, so it's just a matter of 
the right spot, whether it's Philadelphia, Washington, Detroit, St. Louis, Vancouver. I kind of feel like somewhere in that area he is going to go. Uh, but the big question remains about Mitchkov. And like in the first mock, he goes at eight to Washington. Um, I haven't gotten any extremely new information to, to change that projection. Uh, I, feel, I think there are people in the league who still think uh, he's going to slide. I did see that great interview that TVA did uh, with various people from the SCA organization uh, about Mitchkov. And I, I, but I just, again, my conversations all year with hockey people, I just, I have some reservations. He's going to go where his talent dictates he should go with an extremely premium pick. Um, but we will see in a couple of weeks what happens there. And the other, but that being said, I still have two Russians going fairly early. Uh, in, in Daniel Boot and Dmitry Simashev. So I don't think there is complete reservation within the league on Russians. I just think like that high of the draft. You're talking premium, premium names and guys who you, if you pick at four, five, six, you are picking a guy you think could be an impact player for your organization. Uh, I just don't know for sure if teams are going to take that dive. Uh, but I, I could be wrong. Like I, I'm not, I don't know what San Jose, Montreal, Arizona, Philadelphia is going to do. I, I don't like maybe as we get closer to the draft, the information will get a little bit better. Teams have either just had their meetings or are still in the process of having meetings. So I don't have extremely good information yet on that front. Uh, but that's, I would say one of the still the big mysteries of the draft is how Mitchkov will dictate the top 10. We, we went in depth on, on Mitchkov and that whole situation last week, which I strongly encourage people to go listen to uh, with Corey and Chris Peters, giving some really good uh, context to all this. But Corey, when you, when you talk about that uncertainty in that that alleyway, you know, maybe, maybe it's at San Jose at four, although there's still kind of that sense that Will Smith maybe is is, is worth that distinction. But when you, when you get into Montreal, Arizona, Philly, we we talk all the time on this show about how trades in this range do not happen, but it does seem like that it has to be an option you're strongly considering if you're those teams. Yeah, I think any team, you know, from 10 to 15, 10 to 20, I think they need to have a plan in place if they are prepared to take that risk. I think that's the, the thing that I've noticed in the league. Like, I can't tell you where Mitch Goff is going to go. I wish I knew because that, that would be a really useful information to report um but i don't know but what i can say is i know there are organizations in the league that are squeamish on the idea of taking him up the very high pick i know there are organizations in the league that would be very excited to do that and i just don't know where say montreal san jose arizona philly or even well i think washington have a fairly good idea but but those organizations i, I don't know where they land on that question and I just think if you're picking a little bit later, I think you, and you are one of those organizations that would be really excited to get that player. I think you need to have a plan in place to potentially go up and get him because you're it's, that's a you know, he's a rare type of offensive talent. And I would say, given the the uniqueness of this draft, where you have you know several premium names, a couple or more than usual. Whereas, you know, in last year's draft, you're talking about, oh, man, do I got to trip to number one overall to go get this guy? Do it, and maybe Slepkowski goes, you know, do I need to go up to two to get this guy? You can get up to maybe five or six to get this guy in this draft. So, And he's a very, you know, unique offensive talent. Not a great skater, not that big. We've been over that before. But I think it presents a, a unique opportunity for an organization picking in the teens to 
somehow acquire a player of this caliber. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to the one of the first things you said with this mock, which was Leo Carlson's kind of post-world championship rise. You mentioned he's at three here to Columbus. I, I want to know how serious is the idea that this could be someone Anaheim even considers it at two, which would, for Columbus, totally change the game. Yeah, I, I, I still... Again, with mock drafts, part of it is what are you hearing in the league, but part of it is player evaluation too. Like I think at some point you have to stop believing all the rumors you hear and just look at the players and and ask yourself, does it make sense? And I just see an Adam Fantilli. I see a six-two center who can skate, who has incredible offensive abilities. You know, he led college hockey in scoring this season. Uh, won the Hobie Baker. And he's, he's this big, highly competitive, super physical centerman. I get Leo Carlson is smarter. You know, me, you, I would give him a higher hockey sense grade. Pretty much every NHL scout I talked to would, would agree with that. Maybe he has a little bit more pure offense in his game. I get that argument, but I just, again, I just look at the two players and it doesn't make sense to me to not take that player. And I think especially when you factor in, I think we've we made this point on a previous podcast that Pat Verbeek is is the GM who's going to make that decision. You know, the way that Pat Verbeek was as a player and certainly the way a lot of the teams that he's been a part of with Steve Eiserman, they do seem to emphasize that compete trait that Fantilli has uh, over Carlson. Not to say that Carlson doesn't compete, but that is one of Fantilli's true strengths. Right. I think given that I would say Carlson... I don't think he was miles better than Fantilli at the Worlds, but I would say if you had to ask me who was the better of the two players there, I would have said Carlson, although Fantilli's goal there in the semifinal uh, (laughs) may have swayed that opinion a little bit, just given the moment and uh, the caliber of play that was. Uh, But if you looked at the body of the work, I would say Carlson over the tournament was a little bit more impressive, but I don't think it was enough to outweigh everything I've seen of them over the last two years. Yeah, absolutely. That I still think of doing a mock draft for me – I still think Fantilli will be the second pick. When we did it, we had Scott on last time to discuss you and his kind of joint mock draft. I did hear from the Detroit fans about skipping over uh, all, all the analysis of the potential Detroit selections. I think there's a natural lane to do it here because in this, you know, they've got nine and 17. You've got them coming away with Dalibor Dvorsky and Zach Benson. Benson, we've talked the whole year about kind of how, how tough it's going to be to figure out where is this guy going to go because there sure. is – Obvious, you know, a lot to like there, but he is this smaller skilled winger and we tend to see that player drop in, in the draft. Here he gets a 17. What, what kind of went into trying to figure out a landing spot for Zach Benson? Well, it's a couple of things. Like I said, smaller winger, not an elite skater, obviously has a ton of skill, hockey sense, competitiveness, but you start looking at the organizations where he might land in. And I start looking at, you know, will Washington take him at eight? Maybe. Obviously, Mitchkov is if they between him and Mitchkov, I think they're going Mitchkov. Um, uh, at nine is Detroit. You know, I think he fits a lot of what they want to do, but I just feel like they would want to get a guy that's a little bit bigger. At nine, you're looking for ideally a center or a defenseman. Uh, at ten with Vancouver, can they really go with another wing? You know, they just you know Vasily put Coles and John Lickeramaki, Niels Hoglander. Eventually, I think you need to get either some size or a center or a D prospect. They don't get center or D in this mock draft. They get Matthew Wood, Arizona. I think would like to get bigger. Buffalo have drafted a lot of small forwards recently in the draft. St. Louis has drafted a lot of wingers lately in the draft. Uh, I think Pittsburgh a potential landing spot there. That would make a lot of sense to give you know Malkin or Crosby a potential scoring option, but. 
Uh, you know, I give him Gabe Perot, who I think between Perot and Benson, I think Perot would go higher in the draft if the draft was held today. So those are all the variables that I'm kind of balancing when trying to figure out a landing spot for this player. And I could see with two first Detroit being an organization that being willing to take that kind of swing. Yeah, I agree with you. I think at, at nine, maybe it's a little rich for their blood, especially when you look at kind of what else is there. I think in this one, Dvorsky, I do think is another one who fits what they want to do. Tom Melander at 10. Um, but at 17, you start to get there and you see the offensive tools plus the compete. Um, there's a lot there, to, certainly, uh, to uh, for, the, for the Red Wings to like. The, the one that, I, you know, the, the three guys on the board there, uh, one after another, really four, Barlow, Moore, Jaeger, all I think could be kind of interesting questions for them. So that, that should be an interesting – it's a real interesting draft for Detroit just because of the, the two picks in the top 17. I think the landing spots of Boot and Simashev can dictate things there too. I, I The more I kind of ask around the league, I think they st- I think both of them will be fairly high picks. I'm not sure if they both go top 15 or top 20, but I think there's a lot of interest in both of those players. But if they go low, I have them both going in the top 15 in this mock. I think in the last mock, I had them going a little bit lower. Those two uh, landing spots can change things significantly. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break right here, here from our sponsors, and we're gonna continue with this conversation in just one second. Wings for the game, boom, cash back. New lucky jersey, boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking a W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game-changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking a W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. All right, let's dive back into this, Corey. I want to talk to you about the defenseman in this class because you talk about Tom Melander and his rise. We've talked about that on this show. He, he gets up to 10 in this mock. But by the end of the first round, it's still only, I believe, seven defensemen that you have going in round one. And a good chunk of those are, are right there at the very back half, uh, back not even back half, back five to 10 picks, which is still a little bit striking when we talk about the first round of a draft and how valuable defensemen are to NHL teams. Yeah, I agree. I think figuring out the defenseman slotting for this year's class uh, is is a challenging thing. I, and just because, again, the position is so highly valued. And it's why I still have four defensemen going, I believe, in the top 15 to 16 picks of this draft. Um, two in the top 10 and David Reidenbacher and Tom Willander. Two more in the early teens and Dmitry Simashev and Axel Sandin-Pelika. Then after that, there is a gap. And it makes me wonder, now that you point that out, like I think there's about an 11-12 spot gap between Sandin Pelica and the next defenseman that gets picked, which I believe was Etienne Morin. You know, does it, I know there are big 
fans in the league of Oliver Bunk. Uh, I know there are big fans in the league of Moran. I know there are big fans in the league of a couple other defensemen, be it Tanner Mullendick or uh, um, or Maxim Sturbeck. And so I, I look at that and I wonder maybe I should be elevating those players a little bit. Kind of what you said, we've known for a while this is a forward-heavy draft and guys have emerged during the course of the season. And I think still that it is kind of forward-heavy. There will be guys that will just be elevated for that reason. It's not taking a guy who is less talented than the other options. But if you value put a really premium on the defense position and there's only a few left and there's five, six other wingers, especially if you're a team with multiple picks, you know, if you have six, seven forwards you're really excited about and you have another pick 10, 15 picks later and there's only one defenseman left you're really excited about. I think teams will opt for that defenseman. Yeah, it, it is interesting, though, because when you look at some of the teams that have multiple picks here, like in your mock, you know, Nashville, St. Louis at, at 24-25, those teams are both on their second pick of the draft. And in your mock, they both went D with their first pick. So you can easily see how they end up in this mock. I think it's David Edstrom and, and Quentin Musty to those spots. That plays a, a factor here, too. I mean, certainly you can see teams take two defensemen, but it you, makes you kind of understand, especially if the talent leans for the forward, you probably feel better about making that. That pick. Yeah, I think for those organizations like Nashville, uh, like St. Louis, like Arizona, who don't really have that defense prospect in their organization, I think if you're looking at this draft, where their picks are, you're probably thinking to yourself, like, we should ideally be leaving this draft with a defenseman we're excited about. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. The board may not play out that way, but you have high several high picks. There are players there that merit the pick on talent. And you sh- I are hoping, as I think as a fan, that you can get one of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you when you look at kind of that grouping, I think Bonk is kind of one of the guys who, you know, coming out of London, 6-1, has put up a little bit of offense, moves well. He could be a guy that I think I could see going maybe closer to 20. Yeah, I think he's actually closer to 6-2. And I think that's you. People look at all those tools and that is the one guy who like I've mocked him now as low as 29, as high as 18. Maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle there where, where he actually goes. Uh, but I do think there are people in the league who like this player a lot. And I do think he will be a first round pick. Give me the selling point for, for Moran, because I don't know that. I think this was the first time I'd really seen him in, in a first round for you. I mean, exceptional offense this season in the queue. I think uh, if you're a good prospect, you're expected to produce good offense in the queue, but he is a defenseman and, you know, giant numbers, both in the regular season, especially in the playoffs, where something ridiculous like a point and a half per game or something for a defenseman in the playoffs, and a ton of goals this season as well. Uh, you know, really good skill, hockey sense, you know, excellent shot, one of the better shots in the draft, especially for a defenseman. Might be the best shot for any defenseman in the draft. Um, skating is fine, I think. It's not a major selling point, especially as a 6-0 guy. Uh, it looks a little awkward at times, but other times it looks powerful. And could be evasive. So I think his big selling point is that he can provide you a lot of offense. And, but he may give back a little bit defensively. And then Mullendick, to, to your point, I mean, he, he is not the the biggest guy. But I know you've got plus grades on, on the skating and the compete. And at the end of the day, in the modern NHL, that will take you a long way. For a guy who's not tiny, tiny. He's just not maybe just a hair under six foot. Yeah. And, and in the mock, I, I give him to Montreal there uh, at 32 and I, I wrote in the mock that I kind of analogize Molendick as a player 
to a, a young defenseman that Montreal picked a few years ago in Alexander Romanov, and he only went like a couple of spots later, and he was Russian. So I, I think this is a reasonable range to kind of expect Mullen to go right around the 30 spot. Maybe it's right at the end of day one, beginning of day two. Exceptional skating defenseman who competes well, has some secondary offense, but he's not a huge offensive guy. And he's not that big either. Uh, but uh, but like, yeah, he's in the option. He's an option there. I think Maxim Sturback is an option there. I think Lucas Dragosevich is an option as, as a late one. But I don't know how many of these defensemen are ex- extremely exciting guys that you could say are going to be comfortable first-round picks. Yeah, I have to say, if there were two names who I maybe expected to see in the first round here that, that I ultimately did not, it would be Dragosevic and then Mikhail Gulyayev. And I wonder, I mean, we know that there are questions with, with Dragosevic's uh, kind of overall game, but when you look at the offense that he put up, yep. do you really think teams are going to be able to let him get out of day one? I think it's... People are on the bubble with him just because of the defending, defending issues, and he guess he wasn't that great. Like I don't think he his start of his U eighteen Worlds was poor, and then by the end he was playing better. But I don't think he had a great tournament there, a convincing tournament there. More ended in either, mind you, but he only played like the two games. Uh, but I think he is definitely an option as a late one. I, I don't think it's unreasonable. And in terms of Gulyayev. Uh, he's a very difficult player to project because there are some people in the league who are big fans of this player. And there are some who are like, yeah, 5'10", good skating, good skill defenseman, Russian, you know, how many 5'10 guys really play in the league in a significant role? You know, if Is he dynamic enough to be that next one? Or, you know, is he just kind of like a, one of those dime a dozen type of players? And I think given the fact that he, he is a, still in the KHL as well, I think those are all risk factors that if I was a betting man, I don't think he will be a first round pick just just from what I've heard about him all season. Uh, but I wouldn't be shocked. I do think there is maybe a minority opinion of him in the league who believe he could be that next great small offensive defenseman. Well, it was good stuff uh, on the mock. I know it probably will not be your last, but uh, plenty of interesting nuggets in there. I would highly encourage people to check that out. Also though, I, I have to go back to what I said at the top of the show. The, the new formatting for the overall kind of draft board here is really cool sortable uh for me on mobile extremely user-friendly um but Corey, i know you're probably most eager to talk about the rankings themselves uh more so than than the formatting so i'll let (laughs) you do that here um you mentioned earlier you got the the two non-michkov big russians uh the the locomotive guys daniel boot and dmitry simashev both of those guys end up in your final top 10 that is in the top of the lineup tier and I think as much as we talked about last week, Mitchkov being the story of the draft, these guys may be like the story that's not getting enough attention of the draft. Because if that is the talent level, they could really shake up some maybe projections on draft day. I tend to agree. And I and this is not using not universal opinions around the league, but like most hockey people I talk to agree. If they were playing in the CHL, they are no doubt top 12 guys. Could be, you know, in the case of Boot. You hear no doubt top eight, maybe someone even say up to like five, essentially in terms of pure talent. Those opinions, you know, can vary, but I think most people in the league think these are premium talents, and uh, it and it'll be and they're on standard KHL contracts. This is not Mitchkov. This is the standard two year contract. There's two more years after the draft. Most KHL players are signed through the Rage 19 season on their on their first contracts. Uh, so I think yeah, exactly where they land. Uh, is becoming difficult to project. The common thought is teams with multiple picks 
tend to be the organizations that target these kind of players. Uh, you saw that last year with Daniil Yurov, that it was it was Minnesota who had Liam Ogren uh, in the same draft in round one targeted Yurov. Uh, but it's not a universal rule. Ivan Mirosachenko goes to Washington. They did not have multiple picks, but I think they have a lot of comfort drafting Russians. They they sign him shortly thereafter. And I think that's kind of the same thing with Mitchkov. I think with Mitchkov, you don't, I don't think those rules really apply. I think teams with one pick can can, can swallow that just because of the caliber of talent he is. Uh, but you look at Boot and you look at teams of multiple picks, I think of St. Boot and Simashev, that is. I think of Detroit. I think of St. Louis. I think of Arizona, Nashville. Uh, I think those are all organizations that could reasonably take that shot. Well, I think you know you mentioned the the contract length difference, and it's not it's certainly not uncomplicated just because of the war. But especially when you start getting into eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, are you not talking about a two year wait for most of these guys that you're taking? It maybe you're getting Dalvor Dvorsky, maybe Nate Danielson could be a little quicker. He's an older player, but you are kind of thinking potentially a two year wait anyway for these guys. I agree, but I think one of the variables is the fact you haven't these these teams haven't seen him live this year. The interview process isn't as thorough as would be in previous years. There is still a risk factor in getting them signed. So I I think at that point in the draft, you know, top ten, I think I find the argument of if it's close, take the other guy. Like is Samuel? I have boot rate ahead of Samuel Hansek. Is he that much better than Samuel Hansek though? I would say no. So I'm fine with somebody looking at him and saying, yeah, okay, we'll take we'll take Hansek. But then you get to a certain point in the draft where you're like, you know, is he better than Colby Barlow? And I'm like, yeah, in my opinion, by a notable margin. Is he better than Cal Ritchie? I'm like, yes, by a rather significant margin. I just don't think there's anything Ritchie does better than him at hockey. And, you know, there's – and so that, that – I think at that point in the draft, and that could happen in the early teens, and it could happen closer to the mid-teens, I think at some point that margin is just going to become so wide between those two players. Like the difference between, in my opinion, like Dmitry Simashev – and like Oliver Bonk is gigantic. Like, you know, these, this is a 6'2 mobile puck moving defenseman versus a 6'4 mobile puck moving defenseman with like some physicality and some edge in his game. Like there's, like there's no, like it's such a wide gap there. So I think at some point teams will be pressed to take these guys. And I think it could happen fairly early on on day one. The other interesting thing about those two guys, Corey, is in your rankings, you have them at 9 and 10 at the end of that top of the lineup tier. That is ahead of where Ryan Leonard is in your rankings. And I think at least in most of the mocks that have come out, including, I believe, your own mock, uh, certainly I think in, in mock 2.0 that I just looked at, Leonard is much higher than that. How do you kind of come come to Leonard at 11 and, and what, what's your thought process there? Well, the mock is based on where I think they're going to go. And just in discussions with people around the league, I think Leonard is extremely well thought of. And I think he's going to be a very early pick on, on day one. I think, you know, he will, he has a very good chance, not a lock, but a very good chance to go in the top 10. Uh, you know, he's got a ton of skill. He skates well. One of the most competitive players in the draft. He has a really good shot, scored 50 goals for the program this season. He's a, he's a great player. I, I look at him and I still have some, I have minor reservations in his projection. You know, this he is supposed to be like this super physical competitive player, but he is a slightly below average size for a player in the NHL. And you know, especially for a guy who would play that kind of play style. I think his hockey sense is good, but I don't think it's a major selling point. I do have some minor questions on, you know, how the offense would translate. And and it's no surprise on that extremely loaded top US line with Will Smith and and Gabe Perot, 
who all scored a bunch this year, you know, his numbers are frankly far below the other two, despite yeah. all the opportunities on the top line and top power play. That is a little concerning to me. Uh, and so I think he's a really good hockey player. I just, I never got the, okay, he's a, he's a, I never got the sense watching this year that I could distinguish him as like this truly premium prospect, the guy who's going to have like a major, major impact in an NHL lineup. But I mean, he's on the precipice. He's the next guy listed at the top of the next grouping. So I can see the argument to elevate him for sure. It is an interesting conversation because when, when we talk about him as this power forward, he, he is certainly that at, at this level. But when he is going against those bigger, faster, stronger defensemen, maybe that is where you get a little bit of worry at, you know, is it, is it 5'11 and a half or six foot or whatever it is? That It is harder to play that game when you're not 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, yeah, and that's one where we're going to talk, we're going to talk about this in the in the next segment. But, you know, when trying to think of a player comparable for him, I really struggled. Like I, I ended up on Arturi Lakenen. You know, I thought of, okay, maybe he's Jason Zucker. You know, maybe he is some, there's some nowadays, maybe to Seth Jarvis a little bit, but like it's, it, there isn't a whole lot of, there aren't a whole lot of guys in the league who look like that, who play that style at that size, but also play like 17, 18, 19 minutes a night. What about Tyler Bertuzzi? I mean, that is, that is possible. And he's also a guy who frankly in his draft year was knocked for his offense. He actually, I mean, he barely scored in in the OHL in his draft, and he had season. injury troubles too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, but so that is that is a reasonable comp there as well. I think, uh, you know, like I said, there there are those guys who exist in the league, and he's a very good player. Uh, would you call Tyler Bertuzzi a premium player in, in an NHL lineup, or is he? He's probably on the precipice, right? I think yeah, he's he's like a top six, but that is the tier that you have him in here. It's it's not a guaranteed top line thing. So I, I think that's a fair argument. I, I just think like, you know, the, the, at first when we were talking about kind of the power forward element, it, it brought me back to, I think, the conversation we had in the wake of the Tyler Boucher thing about can he can he be that guy in the NHL? But the obvious difference being, I think Leonard's offense is on a different level than than what Tyler Boucher's was. Yes, I agree. But I think they're all, the size is actually quite similar as well as their skating ability. But yeah, I think Leonard's pure skill and goal scoring touches superior. Yeah, I agree. All right, so that's an interesting one. The other one I want to talk about is Matthew Wood. And really, this is probably the start of a conversation I want to have out of the uh, World U18 tournament. I know Wood has been on the overall radar all year. I remember him being, I think, not too far off this range in the preseason even. But I, I felt like he maybe got a little lost in, in the middle of the year in terms of the conversation. But coming out of this U18 tournament, he's solidified, right? Not too, not just a couple spots behind Leonard here at number 14. I, w- I want to know... Uh, what le- what a Wood did to kind of solidify that for you? Well, I, I mean, I thought he was quite poor at the Holinka Gretzky in the summer, so that that didn't. I left a, less, a lasting impression on me and several others for quite some time. Even when you saw him at UConn, it's tough. He's a he's a you know a true seventeen year old in college hockey. It's a big level going to the hockey East as, as a seventeen year old. But you know, you saw the offense. He actually led his college team in scoring. But not an amazing skater. That's always been known. And I think the big issue with him with watching a college is like, did he compete hard enough? He definitely didn't at the Holinka. I thought he, you know, he mailed it in, frankly, in that tournament. And then you kind of watch him at UConn and, you know, it's a little bit of perimeter stuff. And, you know, he's not, you know, it's his efforts just okay at best some nights. So you're a little concerned about that with the skating. And that's why I kind of had him lower all the year. Then I saw him at the U18s and frankly, towards the end of the year with UConn as well. And I, I don't think the effort is great, but I thought it was at least better 
you know, tolerable. Like, you know, he's able to win some pucks back. He at least noticed him consistently throughout the game. Um, I don't think the compete is an asset in his game, but there was portions of the season where I thought it was a liability. I upgraded that from a liability to, you know, somewhere in the middle. And, and, and with what I saw, you know, frankly, with his first, other than in the summer, his first experience during the actual season against junior age players, as opposed to college age players. And that sold me a little bit better on him. I think we could ask probably a follow-up there on, on Tom Melander and David Edstrom. We know they were two of the biggest risers uh, out of the world U18s. But I think the question, you could probably ask this about all three guys, like, is there any overcorrection to this? Because both of those guys are in your top 20. All three of those guys are actually in your top 20. Now, we'll land her to 15. Obviously, you got him mocked at 10, so the league agrees. Uh, but is there any fear that this is an overreaction? I think with Wood, there's more track record. I mean, he led the BCHL in scoring as a 16-year-old, led his college team in scoring as a 17-year-old. Then he has a strong U18 Worlds, has the big frame, has the high-end skill. So I think there's there's a lot there to like. You could, again, the skating, the compete, you could talk about that. But but I mean, he has a he has the body of work of a top 20, top 15 pick. The other two I think are more interesting. With Willander, uh, I think that was steady progression throughout the season. He was just okay, I thought, in August at the Holinka. Then November tournament looks interesting. World Junior A Challenge, really positive reviews out of that tournament. February tournament, Five Nations, U18s, he's good there. Strong play of Rogla towards the end of the year, helps lead them towards a championship. Then you have that big tournament in April at the U18s. So I think with him, it was steady progression throughout the season uh, that ended on a very high note. But you saw the tools and the play progress. Like, yeah, I, I can buy the argument. Maybe the offense isn't real. I, I do get it. Um, but I, but I've been sold enough from watching him over the entire season to think that it could be real. Edstrom is the interesting one because I admit I did not really think much of him before the U18 Worlds, and it was watching him there. It's not about just watching with the U18 Worlds; it's watching him there, and this happens every once in a while. You know, I make mistakes, and you watch a guy at a tournament or whatever, and you're like, like, God damn, I did not see that before. And is it because this is a, a mirage or did I miss something before? And so you're going back now and watch, watching his J20 shifts. I go back, especially watch his SHL shifts where I thought he actually looked quite good with Frulunda in the whatever the 10, 12 games he played in the SHL. You're seeing, okay, I undergraded the skating. I didn't know his skill was this good. And now you're starting to say, okay, now he's 6'3 and he can skate. He has a little bit of skill and he competes hard. You're like, okay, these are a lot of pieces that are coming together that he showed consistently at the U18 Worlds, but that I did, maybe did not give him credit for, for his play with Frolunda and in both the J20 SHL level. I've gotten some pushback on this one in the league. There are people who think I have him too high, uh, but I have talked to people who think he is going to go right around that 20 spot as well. Well, it's it's funny because you mentioned the kind of like going back, and I remember earlier in the season we would talk about Otto Stenberg. I want to say that you would you would be like, look, he's it's not even that he's not the leading scorer on the team that was or of the age group that was Noah Dover Nilsson. Wasn't Edstrom also ahead of Stenberg in, in scoring for that team for Frölunda's J twenty team? Yes, yeah. So that's one of those cases maybe where you, you see it in person, you see it at this big event. And you go back and you you start to put other pieces together, right? Like maybe maybe you didn't see these traits, but it all starts to kind of make sense, right? Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, there's a reason he led that team in ice time at that tournament is because he was frankly their best player. I think at the February tournament, actually, he was the second leading 
player and ice time from centers. Felix Nielsen was actually their top center. I think where Nielsen lands is actually a whole other interesting debate because I don't think I think he would have had a really big UA team world if he had gone there too, uh, playing with Rogel as well on you know with Willander. But uh, but I think Edstrom. Like I, said, I think Edstrom for me, it wasn't just one tournament that convinced me, although it helped a lot. It was the extra work I did on top of watching him there that I and finding things that I might have missed before that persuaded me primarily. Good stuff. Uh, We're going to take a quick break right there, and we're going to come back. I want to talk to you about some of the player comparables here. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, we are back. And Corey, uh, among the many elements of uh, of the rankings are, are something you started doing a, a year or two ago where you add a player comparable for most of the top uh, 30 to 40 or so uh, players. And I want to ask you about a few of them, especially on, on the top guys. And, and right at the top of the board, we got Connor Bedard. You've got him compared to David Pasternak. It was funny. I, I don't know if it was a commenter. I think it might have been one of the comments on the story said, like, if if he's Pasternak, is that a disappointment considering what the hype was? I thought that was a really interesting, I mean, David Pasternak was high on my MVP ballot this year, but I wanted to kind of know a little bit more about how you come to these comparables. And then I, I kind of want your answer to that question. Yeah, I would probably push back on a guy. What do you have? 60 goals, a hundred yeah. something points this year. Yes. Yeah. No, I think if Bedard does that even one season, I think you're thrilled <laughs> to have that kind of offensive talent. The most difficult comps for me, uh, both this year and last year happen at the very, very top. Because at the very, very top, you're projecting these guys, you know, understandably to be among the better players in the league. You're project- projecting an impact talent. And there are so few impact talents in the league that it's kind of hard to find the perfect comparable. You know, if you think Bedard is a center, you think of the small premium centers in the league, it's like, okay, is he Braden Point? No. He has far more skill than Braden Point does. He has a much better shot than Braden Point does. You know, Braden Point probably has a little bit more competitiveness than this guy does. Doesn't mean that Braden Point isn't skilled and does can't score. It doesn't mean that Bedard isn't competitive, but the, those player styles just don't mesh at all. It's like, okay, is he Sidney Crosby? It's like, no, not really. Like Sidney Crosby has out of this world hockey sense and vision. I, I don't and. You know, such he's such a monster competitively. I just don't see that analogy there between the two, especially with the with the goal scoring element. Even though Sydney has a great shot, just not again. The player comps don't mesh there. Uh, Jack Hughes is this unbelievable skater, 
And that's just not what Bedard is. He's not a, he's a good skater, but he's not an unbelievable skater. He's not one of the, definitely one of the top five, 10 skaters in the league like Jack Hughes is. So you run out of center comps already. There's not that many centers who look like him. And now talk about wings because there's a chance Bedard is a wing in the NHL. I think Chicago, given their absolute lack of center depth, have to try him at center. But when they're ready to contend in maybe four or five years, is he for sure going to be playing the middle for them? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see how it goes. And Pajanek isn't a perfect comp for him either. I mean, he's 6-0, but Dard's under 5'10". Like that's a pretty significant size gap. But the reason why I chose Pajanek is, you know, for me, the two big elements of Bedard's game is game-breaking skill and game-breaking shot. And I think with Pasternak, he has both of those elements in his game while being a good, not amazing skater. And the compete isn't the same between the two of them. I think Bedard competes harder. I think the size element isn't the same. But And, and that's why it's so hard to find a couple for the very best guys. But I thought in terms of those those major, major assets, the way they score, I thought I, I thought that was the line to draw there. I, I think for me, the, the guy who always comes up is Patrick Kane, but it is a good point. With, with Kane, it might be more the skill and the playmaking more yeah. so than the skill and the pure shot, which would tend to turn Pasternak. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's, that was why I didn't choose Kane either, is because even though they're similar frames, good, not elite skaters, you know, Kane is you know, an elite, elite passer. And I don't think Bedard is a good passer, really good passer, actually. But I don't think he is Patrick Kane level in that kind of creativity as a playmaker. And it's the same reason why I didn't choose Michkov uh, comp as Kane either, because I think there's a temptation to do that there too. But like one guy is an absolute pure goal scorer. And the other guy is like a pure passer. Uh, do you have a policy against reusing comps? Because I actually feel like you could have used, and, and it's funny because I don't think Mitchkov and Bedard are one for one, but I think you could have used Pasternak for Mitchkov even, although Pasternak a little more size. Yeah, I think you could have, yes. It was, it was, uh, I see the argument either way. I really struggled finding a Mitchkov comp. And I think, frankly, this is part of the debate around him in the league is it's not just the contract. It's not just the the fact that he's, you know, in, in Russia and there's the war going on. It's that this is this, you know, it's hard to think of like a recent star in the NHL in my lifetime who looks like him, who is, you know, barely five foot ten, doesn't have amazing foot speed, is not like this warrior in terms of his compete level, but it's just gonna blow you away with his offensive skill and goal scoring ability. Like that guy doesn't really exist in the league that I can think of. Um, You know, I chose Kucherov for him. I didn't love it. I do think Kucherov does have a little bit more of a passing instinct in his game. Although you see the way he runs the top power play for Tampa, he has a really good shot too. And the reason I chose Kucherov is I just think because of the frames, um, the good, not amazing skating, um, even though I think Kucherov's a better skater, he's a much better competitor than Mitchkov is. Uh, and but I think this, the what really drove it for me is I just think both of their hockey senses are just so special. And Kucherov, when he was younger, was a little bit more of a goal scorer. So that's why I connected those dots there a little bit. It wasn't just the Russian variable there. Um, but I would say Mitchkov, frankly, has more skill than Kucherov. At least if he did at the same age. Uh, so it's. The, the question with Mitch Kovic is going to be, will it translate? If he can't play, can he play an NHL pace? Can he handle NHL physicality? Will it translate? Um, 
I had a, a friend of mine make an analogy uh, to, you know, because there's, there's no comp to him in the NHL. Uh, w- uh, one comp I thought of that made actually a lot of sense is if you're a football fan and was following the NFL draft, you know, there was no, there was no comp for Bryce Young in the yeah. NFL, right? Like there's, there was no guy who looked like that. He's the, you know, an average athlete at best for the NFL, you know, really undersized, not an elite runner, et cetera, et cetera, but he had off the chart intelligence. You know, that's kind of like a similar situation here where, you know, there's a lot of risk on the player comp, but uh, sorry, that the the projection, a lot of risk on the projection of the player comp, but and but you just are so, so blown away by the talent and the intelligence. Um, so yeah, I debated Kane, I debated Kucherov, um, did not think of Pasternak there, but that's actually not an unreasonable one to use. Well, so my other question, you bring up the compete. I, Kucherov's uh, draft year predates me paying attention, uh, but... Was his compete always like a, a an asset for him, or, or was there ever a period where you could kind of draw a line there? Could Mitchkov grow into this? Basically, is what I'm asking. Yeah, I don't remember it being like the super elite trait, but I remember it being good. I think the issue was just that he was small, good, not great skater back then. Like I think Tampa really benefited in a couple of year span. It's like you kind of saw it in 2010 when Tarasenko won 16. Probably the closest analogy I'm ever going to find to the Mitchkov situation, yeah. Because because he was considered a, cons- a consensus top five player on talent at the time. You know, he goes 16, and Kuznetsov went in the 20s. At that time, the KHL scare was really prominent. The league had just been founded uh, from the Russians, you know, transitioning over from Russian Super League. Um, you know, they were they looked like a very powerful entity that were going to try and compete with the NHL for talent. Teams got scared. Tarasenko falls. Kuznetsov falls, and then. Vasilevsky, who looked like this unbelievable goalie prospect, falls in 19. Kucherov, who I think most people knew, and I think if you even ask Tampa, they know the league knew this was a really good player. Maybe not. They didn't know he was going to be this good, but they knew he was a good player. He falls to the second round. They take the gamble. It, it works out. I think they they benefited from it just being this unique situation where there's always been hesitancy on taking Russians, but it was just really high there at the time. Yeah. So we talk all the time about kind of how that at the very top of the draft, you know, there can be steep steps down from the first pick to the second pick to the third pick to the fourth pick, right? And I think you kind of see that in, in the comps here because we go from talking about the Pasternaks and the Kucherovs to a guy who we think could go as high as, you know, as potentially three, but almost certainly top five here. Leo Carlson's comp is Tomas Hurdle, outstanding player, but I don't think we talk about Hurdle in the same breath that we talk about Pasternak and, and Kucherov. Right, and then Will Smith's is uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov. Again, right. you know, both are star centermen in the NHL, really important players on their teams, uh, but yeah, different caliber of talents. Hurdle's uh, comp for Carlson is one I, sh- I struggled with because you know for a while there we thought we didn't. We, my comps for him were wingers. I debated Miko Rantanen. I, deba- I debated Matt Boldy. Uh, very different caliber of players there. Not that Matt Boldy isn't a great player, but Miko Rantanen is a superstar. And I, there was a time I thought Carlson could reach that caliber. I lowered it a little bit. I think maybe Rantanen was too aggressive. Maybe Hurdle doesn't fully capture the degree of offense Carlson has. I don't think it's completely out of, out of whack. Hurdle is still, you know, sat around a point per game for several seasons in the NHL. He's a great player and there is a positional aspect to it too. Yes, you know, Kucherov is, a, is an incredible offensive talent, definitely a superior player to Hurdle. Um, but Hurdle does play a very valuable position in the NHL. He is the, he is a first line center in the NHL. That is extremely valuable. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, 
we can we've rehashed that several times the Mishkov debate and 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 the 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 issues at hand and the talent we're talking about. Um, I I do think there's a talent drop off, a significant talent drop off. Uh, but you know if you can get you know like a guy if a guy you think could be Thomas Hurdle in a standard draft is going like second or third overall typically. Yeah, and I, I, that is kind of the, the testament to what you always talk about with, you know, when people talk about a, a above average draft, a great draft, we're mostly talking about the very top of it. And if you're getting a potential, I mean, I think Leo Carlson, you know, should probably go three or four, but if, if there's a world where he would get to five, you're thrilled at five. Montreal would be thrilled with that outcome. Um, and, and I think honestly, Columbus or San Jose would be, you know, it is kind of funny if Carlson were to get to San Jose, they get a Thomas Hurdle replacement there. You think of like Carlson being five in like 2019 where Turcock goes five or 2020 where Ken Johnson goes five. I mean, he's way ahead of those guys at the same age. Absolutely. Barrett Hayton uh, to Arizona goes five in, in, in 2018. Yeah. Um, the other guy who who might go five is David Reinbacher. Uh, we think kind of cementing himself as the top D in the draft. And you have his comp as, as Brett Pesci. This I thought was very interesting because I remember a few years back in the, the early kind of should Toronto trade Nylander uh, dramas. The, I think that the conversation was always, oh, Nylander for Pesci or, or whatever. And, and Pesci's certainly a, a top four D on uh, one of the best teams in the NHL. I wonder what the reception would be to the idea of Brett Pesci going top five in a draft. Uh, that is a comment I've gotten from a few readers, even a few people in the league. It's like, you know, do you really think Brett Pesci would be a top 10 pick in a draft? And I think the answer is yes. I think, you know, he plays major minutes on a top team. He's, you know, big, mobile, competitive player. Uh, not a premier offensive guy, but when they needed, you know, when they need to use him on a power play, they can. Um, he gets his points. I just, you know, that's what he looks like a really valuable player. I think if he would have been, you know, I think he's, he's almost, he's almost up there with Carolina, but if he would have hit the open market, I think last season, what has he been getting paid? Seven million. Yeah. I think he's a $7 million million plus player. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that's top of the lineup players in my opinion. And I think that's, you always kind of have to calibrate what the draft really is. And in the, in the draft, there's usually two, three, maximum this year a little bit more but usually two or three absolute no doubters then you have eight nine ten guys you're, you'll feel pretty good about are going to have nhl careers and then there's like 20 to 25 other guys who you think are going to have nhl careers but there's this this and that issue that could prevent it you know to me ryan Bacher's in that second group he is a guy who i think feel pretty confident he's going to have an nhl career and that doesn't mean he's going to be a superstar he could be but probably won't be and but if you get Brett Pesci out of a out of a draft, that's a top pair defenseman and may not be a superstar. I know everybody wants superstars when they draft in the top five, top ten, but that's not frankly realistic. I mean, last time Montreal drafted this high, they got Gasperi Kakaniemi. Would they rather have Kakaniemi or or Brett Pesci? Right. Yeah, and you know you can you can dream on getting the Zach Wierenski, but if you if you gave someone the choice today between Brett Pesci and Ivan Provorov, they're taking Pesci. Yep, I agree with that too. Yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, a couple other guys that we're talking mostly here about the, the top of the draft, but there was a couple interesting ones more in your kind of late teens that I wanted to get to. Um, a couple guys who, you know, I think maybe slightly similar conversations in, in Braden Yeager and Oliver Moore. I think maybe more certainty that Moore is going to stick at center long term. But in terms of guys on the smaller end, whose maybe big traits are, are their skating and their scoring, um, the, the comps here I thought were pretty different. Um, yep. 
Travis Konechny for Braden Yeager. I think that speaks to the, the positional element and, and JG Peugeot for, for Oliver Moore. I wanted to hear how you kind of approach finding the comps. I know you had talked about Alex Newhawk in the new hook in the past for, for more. Right. And I had some pushback on that from our firm readers who didn't want uh, guys who really hadn't established themselves as NHLers yet, which I think was perfectly reasonable. The issue with, with Moore, with Jaeger, with Sand and Pelka too, when trying to find a conference, there's only so many five eleven guys in the NHL, right? Um, so you you run if 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 it doesn't fit, you run out of them essentially. Um, and with more, the reason why I think he gets like a center is because even though I think Jaeger skates quite well, you know, Moore's a dimensional skater, and I think it gives him a better chance to stick down the middle in the NHL. Not everybody in the league frankly agrees. There are detractors who think this is just going to be like a third line energy winger. I don't think that's the consensus opinion, but those opinions do exist out there. I think a lot of people think he can stick down the middle. And frankly, there are people in the league who think Yeager can stick down the middle because he's got really good skating, really good compete. He's intelligent. He's played the middle, you know, for, for a long time, including he was the number one center for Canada at the Holinka. So I think there's a hope he can be a center in the NHL, but I think that's where I kind of split the difference there is I just, I think because Moore's skating is so exceptional at that size that it gives him the chance to be a, a John Gabriel Peugeot type of two-way center, presuming the compete looks as good in the pros as it, as it has in junior. And ultimately, Peugeot, I, I think people will see third line center, but this is a player who plays a big role on a team that went to consecutive conference finals. If you look at what he was traded for a couple of years ago, that tells you what the league thinks of him. Yeah, no, he's an he's an excellent player, uh, but you know, do I think Morse for sure going to reach that caliber of player? I wouldn't say for sure. But again, there's always so many guys I can choose from uh, who play that way. And it's why I chose Newhook because I actually thought that the lines were pretty well well uh, done there between the skating, the size, the compete, the good, not great offensive touches. But Newhook has. You know, still established as an NHL player. He barely played for Colorado in the playoffs, so I didn't think that was a fair one to compare him to. Yeah, really good stuff. Uh, would highly encourage everybody to go check out that uh, new draft ranking and, and Corey's mock draft 2.0. But in the meantime, that is going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. Right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Talk to you soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 